Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're claiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And today we have for you an interview with Anjali Sachdeva, the author of All the Names They Use for God. Oh my goodness. I'm pretty sure you were in the center of your wheelhouse with this book. <laughs> you know... This is one of those books, and the, okay, so we talked about this book in our most anticipated books of 2018, and I think I said something along the lines of, I read the blurb and said, sign me up, and boy, oh boy, did it deliver. <laughs> I, I loved every single story in this collection, which I, I think is pretty unheard of for a short story collection. I know! Like, I could not put it down. And there was obviously frantic texting and gushing, and do you have a, do you have a favorite? You know, uh, this this not the last story, but the story before the last story. Manus. Manus. I loved Manus, but I loved Glass Lung too because I'm a history nerd. So that's true. There's like, that. I, I don't know. It's like they're not my children, but I would take God children. Like I'm not sure I can decide between <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I know. They're all perfect in their own way. Okay, we, we were gushing. We're officially gushing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so we are just going to move from this into the interview with Anjali Sachdeva, and you can hear uh, all of the wonderful things about the short story collection for yourselves. So we're here today with Anjali Sachdeva, and we're going to talk about her short story collection, All the Names They Use for God. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really glad to be here. We were so excited to read this book. Kendra scouts all like the pre-release stuff about books, and she pulled this one out <laughs> for me, and she's like, this sounds like an autumn book. And as soon as I read the description, I was like, yes, I have to read this book. Um, and I loved it. I just want to say it front. I loved it so much. I think I read it in two sittings. Like It was amazing. Uh, thank you. And thank you guys, too. for um, I, I know you, you mentioned it before it came out, and that was... One of the first things I saw online where anybody was talking about the book, and I was so excited to see it. Oh, great. That makes me so happy. That makes us feel so happy. (laughs) Yeah, Autumn Autumn really looks for the short story collections, and we both really love magical realism in the short story collections. We we were frantically texting back and forth. Have you gotten to this story? Have you gotten to this story yet? When before the book was published, that's exactly the kind of thing that I like to imagine people doing is excitedly calling their friends about it. So it's so wonderful to hear that that is actually happening out there in the world. Oh, that's great. So before we jump the gun too much, for our listeners who haven't read all the names they use for God yet, how would you describe your short story collection? It's a series of short stories that are all in some way or another about the ways that forces larger than ourselves shape our lives. So that could be nature, it could be science, it could be art, it could be religion, Um, and not just the way they shape our lives, but the way that they can be simultaneously amazing and uplifting and also destructive. And aside from that theme, they cover a really wide range of places and types of characters. So some of them are historical, some of them are set in the near future, and some of them are in the present day. And the title comes from what I believe I read was the most recent story you wrote for the collection. How did that happen? So 
when I was putting the collection together, when I was getting it ready to send out, I kind of looked over everything that I had written and picked out a number of stories that I felt were the best stories and then just started looking at them as a group and thinking, you know, what tied them together? So, you know, were there other stories that needed to be written and added in or was there a common theme? And the theme that I found was that what I had said to you, that this idea of these these bigger forces and the ways that they shape our lives. And so that title just seemed to fit that idea, that idea of, you know, what does each individual person think of as God? Some people really worship nature or worship science as much as people have ever worshipped God or God in the past. So that idea was really interesting to me, and I felt like it was the common thread that held the stories together. I love being able to see that. And usually, you know, the title story gives you a hint as kind of like idea of what's going to be throughout the different stories. And I think you could just definitely see that. But one of the things that really just struck me was how different that similar theme was throughout all of the stories. So when did you start putting the collection together and how did you decide what stories to include? And was it really like as intentional as it seems like it was? It really was unintentional. I didn't, these stories were written over 11 or 12 years. Uh, The oldest stories I wrote when I was um, a graduate student at the writer's workshop in Iowa And then the most recent story I finished right, pretty much right before the collection was sent out to be considered for publication. So it's a big span of time. And I certainly didn't, I didn't sit down to write them with the thought of this is my theme and this is what I'm going to write about. I think that's just an idea that appeals to me and that has been filtering through my mind in different ways over the years. And so it was only after I really sat down to look at them that I was able to see that that was what connected them. And I've I've felt that way about other things I've written, too. I mean, other stories that I've written. You know, when I look back at, for example, what I wrote during the two years that I was in grad school, I feel like most of those stories were kind of love stories gone wrong in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or and, and I think that's true about, for most writers, maybe for different periods of your life that you're kind of going over the same themes again and again, but you don't always realize it. So it was kind of a lovely surprise to me to see the ways that these connected once I had them all together. Um, And then there were, there are other stories I've written, you know, during those years that I liked, but that I didn't feel like fit with this collection. So there was some degree of pruning there, but for the most part, I started, I just started with what I thought were my strongest stories. And, and that was the way that they came together. Now that you mentioned love stories, I never realized how many love stories are in this collection. Yeah. But now that you said that, I'm like, oh, there are. (laughs) To me, it just seemed like stories about life and and stories about worship or or things greater than yourself or circumstances beyond your control. But it's interesting. Yeah. I feel like I have a special nugget of information I never (laughs) knew before. Well, because I think they're not really they're not for the most part romantic love stories, right? So they don't, you don't read it and think, Oh, you know, it's, it's a romance because they're usually love stories with some dark element or some problematic element to them. But yeah, there are, there are a few of them in there. I was really amazed by like the chronology that you put them in. Was there a certain, how did you decide like what order to put them in and what sequence to put them in? I I was thinking in part about, which stories I felt complemented each other well. So Manus and Pleiades, which come near the end, are both kind of futuristic. 
um, whereas the more historical ones are at the beginning. So partly it was that because the stories are so different. It's almost like when you put together a playlist and you kind of imagine one song fading into the next song. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to think about that a little, sort of like how do the echoes of one story play into the next story? And also The World by Night, I like to start with that one um, because it is, it's a story about going into another world. And so it seems like a fitting way to start this collection that is going to take the reader through a series of other worlds. It's like one of the, they call it like portal fantasy novels, you know, but it's sort of like that only with your short story collection. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really interesting because when I edited the book, you know, I had read through all the stories before and then right bef- again, right before I was getting ready to send it out for publication, I read through the whole thing pretty much in one sitting, just so that I could have that sense of what would it feel like to a reader to just go through from beginning to end. And when I did the final edits for it, I read the whole thing out loud from beginning to end. And it was amazing to me how much does sort of carry over, like certain images that would reappear throughout the story, um, which was sometimes a problem. I mean, there were a couple of places where I had written a story years apart, but I had the exact same phrase in two stories and I didn't hear it until it was that last edit and I was reading it out loud and I thought, okay, this has to, this has to come out. Although I don't know if anyone except me, the obsessed author would ever have noticed, but I noticed at that point, you know, that's really crazy that the same sentences were repeated. That that's actually really cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was completely surprised by it and it was a little, I don't know, it was a little unsettling, actually, to think about <laughs> that your mind can kind of be generating this same combination of words, you know, years apart. Yeah, that's really interesting. As we kind of mentioned before, too, like, there's a lot of kind of magical elements in these stories, even though they're really realistic, and especially the earlier ones are definitely more historical. So, you know, there's yeah. like a story about like a commercial fisherman, and then there's a mermaid, and you just mentioned the cave, and like she hears voices in the cave and those kinds of things. Um, What was it about this style of writing that attracted you? And like, how did you start writing your stories this way? I think in part, it's just what I loved to read when I was growing up. And when I, you know, so I read a lot of um, fantasy and science fiction and also a lot of fairy tales. And I still love reading fairy tales. But, you know, most people or a lot of people, I guess, grow out of that, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. sits around reading teen fantasy novels and then goes on to something else. But those books just made such a strong impact on me um, that I think they influenced the way that I look at the world around me. I mean, when I get excited is when I see something in the real world that seems magical or unbelievable. Um, You know, something that happens in reality that I can't explain away. Um, And so I, wanted to write stories that gave that same feeling to the reader. Even though they're fiction, I wanted them to feel like, you know, this is something that could happen, even if it hasn't happened. I read a pretty wide range of stuff. I don't get to read as much as I would like these days because I have two small kids. But my reading tends to be just sort of largely whatever crosses my path. If one of my friends says, here, read this, it's great. I'll probably (laughs) read it, even if it's, you know, super realistic domestic drama. But when I'm seeking out books for myself, that's that's usually what I gravitate towards, or that's what really gets me excited, is books that have some magical element to them. 
I really like those kinds of books too. And Kendra is like a big fantasy reader and I'd never really read fantasy just because I didn't have friends who were kind enough to hand me books like that. I, I didn't um, have a friend that was that nerdy that I wanted to read <laughs> I didn't have Kendra yet. But she kind of like, I think I kind of came to it opposite of the way you did. Like I read stories and novels with more magical fantasy kind of elements to them, which then made me want to read fantasy, which is kind of interesting. I think for a long time, fantasy and science fiction and genre fiction in general have this bad rap of like, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting ideas, but poorly written. And at this point, I think most people have realized that's just not the case, right? Like there's just such amazing fantasy and horror and science fiction out there that people could be reading. And it's, it's that just that freedom to, to make anything happen. And then as a writer, there's all this extra work you have to do to support that, right? You have to make it believable and you have to explain it in a way that is easy to understand, but not intrusive and doesn't take over the story. There's other work that has to be done in the writing to support that kind of freedom, but it's, it's just so wonderful to have that option. And that's one of the things I really loved about your collection. I feel like you took the idea of genre and just threw it out the window and was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to write whatever I jolly well want to write. <laughs> and I, I love that because to me, that's one of the most frustrating things sometimes when I read writing is because I can tell they're trying to curb, you know, you know, I don't want to explore the idea of science fiction or fantasy or whatever in my writing, but you just do an amazing job and it's like there are no boundaries and you just use whatever is best for that particular story. And I feel like that's also almost somewhat what fairy tales especially originally did because they were so like violent, but they also had these magical you know elements. So it was that combination of realism yes. and, and fantasy as well. And I definitely felt like I was reading a collection of fairy tales rather than just, you know, short stories with magical realism in them, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that has been maybe one of the benefits of this being my first book is there wasn't anyone. Um, I mean, my agent has been really great about just being supportive and doing her best to support whatever, I, whatever stories I write and not try to push me in any particular direction, which I really appreciate. But, you know, like basically being an unknown writer, I think there was nobody to say, you have to, you know, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. This collection really needs to be more cohesive or this or that. Um, and it did, it gave me the freedom. I'm in two writing groups. So they're usually my first readers for everything. And it, it would be that thing of, Hey, in two weeks, I have to have something give these people who are my close trusted friends and also amazing writers. And it doesn't have to connect to anything that's come before, but, but it has to be interesting or good, or at least I have to have worked really hard on it so that I can feel um, when I give it to them, like I gave it my best shot. So that's been really, I think that was really helpful to me in terms of just making me feel like there were no rules about what I could write. Definitely. Another thing I really loved about your collection is that there's just a wide range of settings. You have everything from the desert uh, to the ocean and just everything in between. And so many of them had, they were almost like a historical setting. And like, especially in the first few that you mentioned. So like you have in the glass lung, there's a man who's in a factory and he's in an accident and like his lungs basically become a type of glass. Are, are some of these like historical settings or locations based on true stories or actual locations that we have, I guess, in real life? I'm putting quotes around that. We can hear that. Yeah. So that story, Glass Lung, um, 
I, I live in Pittsburgh and the history of, you know, the, the sort of big historical thing about Pittsburgh is that it was the center of the steel industry. And especially in the early 1900s when Carnegie was building the mills and running the mills. And then Henry Clay Frick, who was also in Pittsburgh, they had a partnership where Frick supplied the coke that ran the mills. And then Carnegie obviously had the mills. So if you grow up in Pittsburgh, there's no way you don't know that story. You know, there, I mean, there, you're hearing that story in every history class you've taken since you were in elementary school. So I think it was very much in my consciousness, but that's not where I started the story. I started the story thinking about, I, I just started with this, for some reason, this image in my head of these glassed lungs. And from there, I started noodling around on the internet and found out that it is, there is, there's this thing called atomized glass, which is created basically when you have a really high pressure explosion and, and the glass just gets blown apart. Um, I knew I wanted it to be in this, in the past. And I was thinking, well, how would that ever happen, you know, back in the past? And industrial steel mill accident was what I ended up with. And from there, you know, I, I think everything that was already in my Pittsburgh consciousness filtered into the story. But I didn't set out to do it that way. I did, you know, I did do a fair amount of reading and research on on that area once I had decided that that was going to be the setting. I, I will say I, I try to bring in enough detail and information to make it feel real, and I don't ever put anything in that I know for a fact is not true, or I, at least I try not to. But I, do, I also don't go full-on, you know, method acting. I'm going to research this to the smallest detail because for me that usually tends to take the life out of the story. And I don't mean that for everyone. I mean, I think there are writers who do that and do it incredibly. But for me, if I get too caught up in the specifics of it, at some point it kind of bogs me down. I personally love this story because I read a book, a nonfiction book about Frick and Carnegie a long time ago. And so I kind of knew about their history. And so I started reading the story and I had to stop and Google because I was like, oh my gosh, did this really happen? <laughs> and I was like, I know that he really had like these bills and I know that all this stuff was going on. So like, it, I, it was just like, you're right. Like just enough where I was like, oh my goodness, I think this could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is great, which is what I, because I think when you feel like it could have really happened, then you take the consequences of it seriously, right? Yeah. Like when it feels like it could have been real, then you think, so then the, the ethical dilemmas of it, it seem real and the, the lives of the characters seem real. Yeah, and I definitely feel like that kind of added to the whole, it's almost like they're American folklore mm. fairy tales and it just added to that kind of, I w I'm going to use the word authenticity, but not really, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, as Autumn said, like, it could have, it feels like yeah. it could have happened sometime in our, you know, non-distinct yeah. past. Some of your other stories in particular seem to talk about, like, the relationship that women had to nature, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Effie and in the first story, and then Sadie, who's in... She's in Glass, yeah, in Glasslung, um, and then Terry in Logging Lake. Like she goes camping in a national park and with her a guy she met online. So, like, how does like the natural setting kind of connect to these women's stories or influence them? Or I guess like what's kind of the connection there? A lot of that comes from I just I personally love being out in nature and I do a lot of backcountry hiking. So, to me, I think 
that whole idea that I'm trying to get out of, of oversized forces, I feel that really keenly when I'm out in nature, probably more than any other time. It's especially if you're, you know, backcountry, it's like there's often no other human being around. There certainly are no phones or any other signs of civilization. And you're just, you just kind of have to face the size of things by yourself. And that is what I love about it. And it's also what makes it frightening sometimes, you know, I mean, I've had hikes where I turn my ankle or something, and then you have to, you know, you have to grapple with the fact that really it's all on you to deal with this and get yourself out of the situation. I've just spent a lot of time thinking about that relationship. So the, the, the world by night, the story with Sadie in the caves, I took a trip to um, Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. And you can, you can walk through the caves, but you can also do this. Uh, it's called the wild cave tour, which is this five hour caving tour where you're just, um, you know, you have a guide and you're in a group, but they take you through, through parts that you can't just walk through where you have to kind of belly crawl through passages and things like that. And there's also a lot of cave systems in Pennsylvania. And I've been to a couple of them when I was younger, I don't know that feeling. I mean, it is this completely other world. There are animals that live in the caves and never come out. I mean, they live their whole life system in there. And it is just some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen are, are in caves. And so when I sat down to write that, that was very much in my mind. Just the, the visual memories of that trip um, were just really strongly there. And then once once I started to develop Sadie as a character, it was clear that she was, you know, not accepted in society and kind of had been forced to the edges of society. And that seemed to tie in so beautifully with this idea of this other, this other space where, where you have creatures who, who dwell on their own terms and who live a different kind of life that doesn't really mesh with the life of the outside world. And I definitely felt that when I read the book. I'm from Appalachia, and so there's always, like, you don't really have much else to do. So, you know, you go hiking, you go to these national parks. <laughs> and so I remember yeah. I went to an overlook in West Virginia, and it was absolutely gorgeous. And just that feeling of seeing that is something that I felt throughout the different stories where there's references to nature and uh, just to the environment. And that almost like the environment is a character in and of itself that f that you kind of feel like has that mm. control over you. And uh, I just, I just yeah. really love that. My husband makes fun of me because I have to be near some sort of trees and nature. He enjoys it as like a tourist, but I'm like, this is, this is in my blood, man. I need this. And so I really love it when really talented authors just take that on and write books about it. And I really love it. Well, maybe that's why it stood out to me too, is like, I grew up in the mountains too. And I remember I went to the Lost Sea, which is like this big underground lake. And when they turned off the lights, mm -hmm. like I could feel the dark. And like that yeah. memory like sticks with me like to this day where it's like feeling the dark, which I've never felt before. Yes. Right. And you, you hear all these things that you weren't even aware of, right. Until, until it gets dark. And at caves, especially like there's a part in that story where she talks about the caves breathing at her and caves yes. are like that. They've got these air currents that go through them and it does feel like you're inside some huge breathing creature. Yeah, I thought 
yeah, all the nature elements I've just really enjoyed. And like Kendra said, we both grew up near the mountains, so maybe that's why we were <laughs> really interested in them. Or maybe we just read too many books at New York City or something. Right. <laughs> well, I think it's hard not to, that once you, I, I understand, I mean, my husband also is not, um, doesn't love, I will say, the one time that we went backpacking together, I think he actually really enjoyed it. He just doesn't like sleeping in a tent because it's uncomfortable, which, which I get. Um, but you know, I think anyone given the right circumstances, if you take them to a really beautiful natural place has some connection with it and can appreciate it on some level, but then you're right. I think there are some people who you just feel hungry if you don't get to yes be exposed to that on a regular basis. I feel like it's like almost like introverted, extroverted. It's like nature and non-nature. Like you need one. You're like one or the other. (laughs) (laughs) So on a totally different vein, I guess, is, you know, the last two stories are more futuristic. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but uh, (laughs) so there is the next to last story is more futuristic. And aliens have kind of come down and humans are having to deal with that kind of society. And another one, there are septuplets who are born and uh, it's just like like actual identical septuplets, which is like a big scientific experiment and the ramifications of that. So you really delve into the realm of science fiction, which I thought was excellent, especially after in the beginning where you're more historical fiction with magical realism. So since you started moving towards science fiction uh, in the later stories in the collection, is that a type of genre that you want to explore in the future or is you more just open to whatever comes your way? I'm definitely open to whatever comes my way. I love science fiction. I like reading science fiction and I do have other science fiction stories I've written that aren't in the collection. So it's definitely something that interests me and that I see myself continuing to write, you know, in both of those stories. And I would say in most of the sci-fi I write, I don't write hard science fiction where the science is really the, the central figure. You know, I mean, I think some writers do that beautifully and I've, find work amazing, but I tend to more take a scientific idea and usually kind of think about transposing it to another context and kind of how, um, what would it mean in that other context? There's a story that's not in the collection that I wrote a long time ago that I'll just use an example because it's, it's coming to mind where I was thinking about chemistries. When you have the different elements, some elements are depending on how many electrons they have in their outer shell, they're like really, if they're, if the outer shell is almost complete, they're really agitated and really wanting to join up with another element. So that's how that's salt is like that um, because the sodium and the chlorine are like almost complete. And so they are really reactive and they, you know, end up sticking together. And I read that and I just thought, you know, um, this was back when I was writing all those love stories. I just thought like how, how can you think of that and not think of the way that people interact with each other? That somebody who's almost complete is, is in such anguish to find that completion. So that tends to be my direction with science fiction is that some scientific concept will be interesting to me and I'll kind of spin outward from there. That's something that I thought I really loved about the last story too, is like, even though these sisters are genetically identical. It was more about their relationship to one another and kind of how they affected each other, which is a train of thought that I hadn't even really considered before, or, you know, it was a completely new concept for me. And I was really interested to see like how that played out 
you know, in that story. That particular story, I did not set out with any, you know, I, I didn't, it was a story that I did not know when I started writing it, where it was going to go. But that was the idea that that was most interesting to me. And I think I had also fairly recently at that time read The Deep by Mary Swan, which is also, which is about identical twins. And it's really exploring that question of, you know, how, what is the relationship between twins and how do they, how do, how do their thoughts affect one another? Um, that idea, I think, was also in my mind. Are people actually trying to make, like, multiple sets of identical siblings like that? So, not that I know of. I think it's one of those things that the, whatever it's called, World Ethics Commission or whatever would not um, allow for, but that sure doesn't mean that nobody's doing it, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. there are all kinds of things that nobody is supposed to be doing <laughs> that I think people are doing in secret. And so, certainly at this point, you know, we have the ability to create identical twins, but again, at least in America, I'm sure you're not allowed to do that. So something like this, it's funny because that is one of the oldest stories in the book. And I think when I wrote it, um, would have been around 2006. And at that time it was a little more futuristic than it is now. You know, I mean, I think at that time, maybe it wasn't yet possible to do that, but at this point I feel like it's certainly possible to do it but it's not scientifically condemned, it, you know, like with good reasons, <laughs> I'm concerned, but I, I think we probably have the technology to do that. You know, it's interesting. Just one final thought. I recently read Frankenstein and, you know, Mary Shelley wrote that 200 years ago now. And it's interesting yeah. that like, we're still wrestling with these questions, you know, about science and ethics and people and the people who are involved in those things. Yes, there's actually, so there's a um, magazine in Pittsburgh called Creative Nonfiction, and they just came out with a whole series of essays on the theme of Frankenstein because of the anniversary, like this whole yeah. idea of, you know, um, creating like that creation through science. So it is, it's obviously an idea that really sticks with people and I think it does get back to the the whole the theme of the book as a whole, this sort of idea of we can do these amazing things, but there are prices and there are consequences and we're not always as good about thinking through those prices and consequences. Yeah, exactly. Perfect thought to wrap this discussion up on. Well, Great. we highly recommend that like everyone go and read your short story collection, but before we let you go, we wanted to ask you kind of like what it's been like to have your book published for the first time. And we were so excited to see that Roxane Gay gave your book five stars. Like, so I texted Kendra immediately when I saw it. I was like, look what Roxanne did. So it's like all the happy emotions. Yeah, I, I was obviously really excited as well. I am um, because of my first book, I have been and also because it took me a long time to write. I've been just overjoyed by every, I mean, every mention I see of it anywhere, whether it's somebody's personal blog or, you know, in a magazine, I'm just really excited. Um, but that particular, the review from Roxanne, I was, I had just put my daughter to bed and I got a text from a friend of mine saying, Oh my gosh, you have to go on Goodreads. Um, and I knew that, I knew that Roxanne was reading the book because she had posted, you know, a picture of 
her upcoming books that she was going to read. And, but I was just really nervous. You know, a friend of mine said like, Oh, she's, she's reading your book. Aren't you excited? And I said, I'll be excited when the review's out because she could hate it. And then, and then what? So no, I was so overjoyed. I mean, she's such an amazing writer, obviously. So it, it, it is just fuel for all those moments when I'm sitting around thinking, why am I writing these things? It, it just gives me so much joy and hope to know that um, people are out there enjoying the stories and um, yeah finding getting to read that review I read it at what should have been my bedtime and then I was up for hours because I was so excited <laughs> it was it's definitely definitely well deserved and we're always happy to see more people you know sharing the books that we love and yeah, we, we will be gushing we will be gushing about your book for a long time and trying not to look ridiculous while doing so. But before we go, we always look for recommendations from the authors that we interview. So the, are there some favorite female authors that you have or maybe books that you would like to share with us? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, um, I love short stories and I do read a lot of classic short stories. So one name that I would recommend there if people haven't read C.L. Moore, who's a science fiction writer from the 50s who was writing under the name C. Elmore, so people wouldn't know she was a woman. Oh, wow. um, she's fantastic. And then in terms of books that have come out recently, uh, I really enjoyed We Show What We Have Learned by Claire Beams, which is also a short story collection, um, and The Rending and the Nest, which is a post-apocalyptic novel um, about... I don't want to give too much away, but about this world where women start giving birth to strange objects. Oh. And it's really fantastic. Those are definitely to go on my list. I know. I'm like, hearing that description, I'm like, women give birth to strange objects. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, it's by Kate Schwain, and it's it's fantastic. Well, we will definitely be looking those up. I haven't heard of either of those authors, so this is really exciting for me. Yeah, I um, I had not heard about Claire Beams either, and then a friend of mine gave me her book, and then later I found out that she lives in Pittsburgh, where I live. So that was a oh, happy wow. surprise, wow. but it's also a real short story. I think you'll love it. Oh, cool. Sounds amazing. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it, and we loved reading your short story collection. I really enjoyed talking to you guys, too. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's really, it's been kind of a thrill to get to do this. So. <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so glad you liked the book. So that was our interview with Anjali Sajdeva. Uh, we really enjoyed talking with her, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I cannot recommend the short story collection enough. And, you know, I thought I loved the stories before we did this interview, but now I really love the stories. <laughs> that is true. That is so true. I feel true. like I learned so, so much about the stories. And I feel like now I'm just going to randomly greet someone on the street and shove the book into their hands and say, read this, <laughs> like now. <laughs> I know, I know, man. <laughs> this is an amazing collection, and I—I I mean, I know Liberty Hardy just posted an amazing book of hundred short, short story collections the other day. But I want people to read more short stories. <laughs> read this one. Anyway, I'm done. You're sharing the good news, Autumn. Sharing the good news. I'm done. I'm done. Anyway, <laughs> we loved getting to talk to her, and thank you all so much for listening to this interview with her. If you want to follow Anjali and her work, you can find her on Twitter at AnjaliWrites and at her website, AnjaliSachdeva.com. 
and we'll have links in our show notes as well so you can just easily find her and all the names they used for god is out now by spiegel and growl and go run and buy a copy right now yeah so we'll have links to all her things in our show notes and as always you can find reading women on all the social media channels at the reading women and you can find kendra at kd winchester and you can find me at autumn privet Thank you all again so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.